friends. Welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. Bottom line, this boils down to be the salt and be the light. Live out your faith. It has been an amazing launch week, and I cannot begin to express how thankful I am for each of you that's listening right now. Before we dive into today's conversation, I'd like to give a special shout out to our very first Creative Impact Podcast patron, Bethany Moores. Thank you, Bethany, for believing in this show and helping to fund the production process through our Patreon community. Patreon is a platform where you as a listener can help support the podcast through monthly donations. There are monthly expenses that come with producing a podcast, as well as costs for equipment. Becoming a patron helps to offset those costs and allows the Creative Impact Podcast to keep growing and improving. There are three different tiers, starting at just $5 a month, that you can select from to become part of our Patreon community. For the cost of one coffee a month, you can help make this podcast possible. As a thank you for your support, you'll receive special bonuses. You'll have access to our private Patreon community where we have discussions about the show. You'll have behind-the-scenes content and live Ask Me Anything sessions. Right now, we have some extra content from my interview with Whitney Dufresne that is only available to our Patreon community. Your support helps us reach more people with the show and bring purpose and hope to artists around the world. You can find a link to our Patreon page on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. Friends, I am honored to share this conversation with Randall Flynn. Randy is the founder and artistic director of Adeyem Dance Company in Houston, Texas. In my conversation with Randy, you'll hear his story from the beginnings to current day. He shares some incredible stories that will make you laugh and potentially even make you tear up a bit. Through the years, he has connected with artists all over the world and seen huge growth in the Fellowship of Believer Artists. Randy speaks to the importance of living in grace— finding wholeness in our identity, and finding liberty in our expression as artists. Be ready to be encouraged. Here's my conversation with Randall Flynn. I am honored to talk to you, Randy, because you've been (laughs) such an influence in my life. And I had the honor and privilege of being a part of the AJM community for a couple of years. And that was such a formative time for me. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It is my pleasure, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So first off, I would love just so people can get to know you a little bit, if you want to share some of your background and what got you into the dance world. Well, uh, I grew up in an Irish Italian family and I don't advise that for anyone. So just (laughs) FYI. (laughs) Love very passionate, very passionate people. Yes. And I'm the youngest of four. And so my two oldest, a brother and sister, they're 10 to 12 years older than I am. But my fondest memories of both of them was that they danced together. And not only did they dance together, so we're talking about more at that time, because this would have been in the late 60s. So I'm really mm-hmm. aging myself here. They were doing more like contemporary dance at that time. And then also uh, forms of ballroom dance. And they were actually the featured dancers on a local television dance program, channel 13, 
Channel 13 used to have a program uh, called The Larry Kane Show, which was like our local version of American Bandstand. Oh, yeah. And so they, they were the featured dancers, and my Italian family and the Irish family would gather around a black and white television set. Yeah, so all the millennials can Google what that means. Right. <laughs> they would watch my brother and sister. I think the show lasted for like an hour. And I was just enamored by what I was watching, just the the joy of dancing. And it looked like it was so liberating and free. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I also saw how my family responded, how my older brother and sister were kind of like the stars in their eyes. And of course, you're the baby. So right, you want to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I decided, okay, if this is how you're going to get attention, then I, I'm all for it. So then I started to move around. And my sister would, I remember this as a young child, would like show me some of the movements that they were doing. And then my, my mom and dad also enjoyed going out dancing. They would go to like a ballroom centers or venues and mm-hmm. they really enjoyed that. So, you know, how would I say dancing was not foreign to my upbringing, but at the same time, I lived in a neighborhood that was more of a rough and tough sports oriented neighborhood. And so now we're talking about my teenage years, which is the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And during that time, especially in Texas, the, the idea of a Texas young male was either you play sports or, you know, perhaps you're like an extreme intellectual. I enjoyed music and I enjoyed the arts and I had an affinity towards things that were beautiful and creative, Mm -hmm. but that just wasn't the popular version of a guy back in those days. So to be honest, I felt a little bit out of place. Mm, Yeah. So in 1974, I think I could be wrong about the date, but it was the new beginnings of HSPVA, the High School of Performing and Visual Arts. Oh, yeah. And I got wind about this school and I thought, oh, man. This just sounds like the perfect thing for me. So I actually put in my application and got information back. So I was invited to the audition, but it had requirements for male dancers. And of course, that was dress code. So male dancers were told to wear black tights and white ballet shoes and this thing called the dance belt and all (laughs) these different things that I had no clue. Right. But to be honest, I was embarrassed. It really intimidated me because I thought, okay, wait a minute. The neighborhood that I live in and the people, the mentality, they're not going to understand. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get bullied. And, and then my dad as well, even though he enjoys dance, he is not going to embrace me going into dance as something very specific. Right. So due to that reason, ridiculous now, I did not go to the audition. Oh, wow. I regret that to this very day. Now, what's interesting by the grace of God, (laughs) talk about redemption. Mm -hmm. Now I frequent the high school of performing arts as a guest teacher. That is so cool. Yes, definitely full circle there. Like the Lord just bringing that back around. Exactly. So so that, that was a major blessing for me because it was something I just really wanted to be connected to in my younger years. 
but never took that opportunity out of fear. Wow. That's really cool. So yeah. what happened next in your journey as an artist? Okay. So yep. as you got more into young adulthood, I guess. You got it. So in high school, in my 12th year of high school, we were told that we could get a work permit and that we could leave school at 12 and go to a job. And I thought, wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Especially as a senior in high school, it's like, that's awesome. (laughs) Exactly. So I found out that there was a dance studio very near to my high school. And now mind you, at that point, I had no formal training. Mm -hmm. Basically, I was self-learned, things I had learned from my my brother and sister, things that I was practicing on my own, but no formal training. Right. And so now I'm all of 16, I guess. So I walk into this dance studio. The owner asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I would like to apply for a job. (laughs) And she said, okay, uh, how many years of experience have you had? Right. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of self-taught. And she said, so have you taken ballet classes or jazz classes or tap? No, no, no. So what would you teach? <laughs> and I said, well, I would teach um, street dance. The high school that I went to was probably about 65% Afro-American and then a very low minority of Caucasian and Latino. And I discovered street dance. So locking, popping, breaking, whacking, you name it, kind of like (laughs) pre-disco. Yeah. But that became my everyday pursuit. So I was with my Black brothers and sisters every single morning out on the sidewalks before school would start, and I was dancing my heart away. And then spending so many evenings going to the dance clubs, taking in more information. And so anyway, this dance teacher said, well, show me what you do. <laughs> so nice. I, sh- I showed her what I could do. And she said, can you teach this? And I said, yes. She said, okay, then I'm going to open up a class for you that you can teach this style of street dance. But in exchange, you have to study ballet and jazz and tap. And then you you will assist me in my children's classes. Nice. Hey, Rachel, it was a great deal. So I thought I am so into this. So that's what I started doing. And okay, I'm going to be honest and I'm not bragging about this because it's nothing to brag about, but I loved it so much. So she introduced me to a dance company in Houston that was directed by a man named Glenn Hunsucker, who Mm -hmm. was very well known in especially the jazz dance uh, community, theater under the stars, very fossy type of a choreographer, brilliant. And I went and started taking his classes. And I was asked to join the company as an apprentice. Mm -hmm. But there were morning classes. And I wanted to take those morning classes. Okay. I know you're a high school teacher, so I'll repent in advance. <laughs> it's so, okay. You're okay. forgiven. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. I need to be forgiven. Not that I've, you know, any authority to say that, but. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, six weeks before graduation, cap and gown, the ring, the whole thing. I left high school to pursue dance. Oh, wow. 
I know, I know. <laughs> Thanks um, for being vulnerable to share with. Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do not recommend this, kids. Just right. FYI. don't try this at home. Don't don't try this at home. Exactly. But you know, back in that day too, there was a lot of brokenness in my life, uh, a lot of rebellion, and then I just felt like I discovered my passion. I, I discovered the sense of new freedom and significance and affirmation because uh, I was searching for that so much in my life, a search for significance. Right. So I got involved in this company. I lived in that studio. <laughs> I was there all the time, taking about four classes a day besides rehearsals way up late into the evenings. Then I was introduced to another company in Houston called Discovery Dance Group, a lady named Camille Long Hill who mm-hmm. actually started the dance program at the University of Houston. This was oh, wow. way back in the day. And so she introduced me more to Graham-based technique. And she was a, a student of Ted Sean. Oh, yeah. And uh, then she worked uh, hand-in-hand with Gus Giordano as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a dancer in that company, which you actually studied with, Kathleen Parker. Yeah. Or Kathleen LeBeau. Mm-hmm. And... Kathleen, I met her when we were both in our young 20s, and I just thought she was the most amazing artist that I had ever laid my eyes up on. And I just saw the beauty of that way of moving with the body. It just seemed to be so freeing and so honest. Uh, I enjoyed my jazz dance, but it was more like, it's showtime, folks. Do your jazz right. hands. And, and I still love and enjoy, you know, what I call traditional jazz dance. I think it's awesome. But when I found the modern genre, it just seemed to be, for me, a lot more connected to the things I wanted to express. Mm, And so that kind of began my career as a dancer uh, right here in my hometown of Houston. Then, of course, I would go to New York and I would study there at the Ailey School and with the Lamone Company. And I also had my own companies here in Houston. We were pretty much a jazz dance company. So this is before I got into the modern realm so much okay. and did that for a number of years as well. Did I hear it had something gold in the title? Uh, well, I was in association with dancers from a very well-known 1980s national dance program, actually international, called Solid Gold. Okay, and gotcha. That's what that was. So yeah, that that was like the contemporary cool thing to do. I also was on a show called Dance Fever, which was a, a kind of like, so you think you can dance back in its day. Right. And then I also <laughs> won the title of Texas Disco Champion. I told you I was yes, a street dancer. That's I was amazing. a complete street dancer. That's so fun. So yeah. And then all of a sudden things changed. I don't think I was consciously looking for the change, but it just happened. Of course, you know, when you get into something that you love and you're passionate about, that doesn't just mean all of a sudden that all the demons in your life disappear or all the struggles go away. So even though dance was a beautiful thing for me, at the same time, there were things that I was wrestling with deep inside of my life you know, brokenness of my, my parents' relationship with one another, brokenness in the family. My dad actually was mentally ill and so ended up a lot in mental hospitals and he was abusive. And so there was just a lot of things that I was hoping somehow that dance could appease. And even though, how would I say, it did bring some comfort 
it couldn't bring healing to that part mm-hmm. of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I had actually, in my own way, I was praying for a change. I didn't know what that meant mm-hmm. because I did not, quote, have a personal relationship with God. Yeah. But, you know, God hears our cries in our best efforts. And I ended up going inside an aerobic studio, met a Japanese-American man named Doug Stringer, who's the director of Turning Point Ministries in Houston. He took me to a church. I saw a movie about a woman named Johnny Erickson Tada. Mm, yes. If you don't know who this woman is, look her up. She's amazing. She is amazing. And a brilliant testimony. I'll definitely, I'll link to some of her um, ministries in the the show notes so people can look it up. Oh, cool. So her story really affected my life. We don't have time to get into the story, but thank you for putting in the link. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of weeks later, I attended a Billy Graham crusade at Rice University. And to be honest, you know, I was 21 at the time. I had never, ever heard the gospel before. Never. Wow. Which you think like... Bible Belt or, you know, Texas. Yeah, exactly. No, I had never heard the gospel. That doesn't mean I had never gone into a church, Mm -hmm. but I had never heard the gospel. I knew law. I didn't know grace. So Mm, I knew, I knew what people would look at as the, how would I say the um, ethics of Christianity or the morality of Christianity. And I knew that I failed (laughs) in all the but I didn't understand the grace and I didn't understand the love because I grew up in a home where my father represented the legalistic, the law side. So I never really understood what it meant to have a father of grace and of love. Hmm. And listening to Billy Graham's message, seeing this film about Johnny Erickson Tata and her own way of wrestling with God and acknowledging him as father, I realized that my image of father had been very tainted. Mm. And I knew that the heavenly father wanted to heal that in me because what was honestly broken in me was sonship. My, my sonship had been torn apart and broken and I, I was orphaned. Even mm-hmm. though I had a physical dad, I really right. had what I call, I used the term orphaned spirit. And that's what needed to be healed. And by the grace of God, he poured that balm into my life and he's still pouring that balm into my yes, life. Yes. Yeah. And, that, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a process. I think every day, you know, that's new mercies every day and grace. Yes. For yes. sure. Wow. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing the story of, of that early years and kind of getting into everything. Yep. And yep. obviously that's a big shift in your life when you yeah. <laughs> come to yeah to faith in Jesus. And like, I would love to hear what was the landscape, if you could just set the scene for us, what was the landscape okay. of being a Christian artist at that time? Okay. Well, first of all, I would have never have connected those two words right at that point, probably because This is back now in the early 80s, and the church wasn't really all that savvy on what I would call the spheres of life that were not connected to what the church considered as spirituality. Mm -hmm. So the the spiritual things within the culture, the church culture that I was involved in, was if you went to church, 
three times a week. If you did your Bible studies, your devotions, did missions outreach, went to the Bible school, and guess what? I did all the above, mm-hmm. and I even graduated from the Bible school, and I'm actually nice. ordained as a pastor. Oh, that's awesome. A- so I did my homework. You did the things, yes. <laughs> I did my things, but how would I say outside of what I call local church, a little bit boxed in culture, I wasn't hearing teachings about the fullness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So Francis Shaver, brilliant the- theologian said that if Christ is Lord, then he's Lord of all and his Lordship encompasses all creation in every sphere of human culture. But I wasn't hearing that as a new believer. So I'm very thankful for what I was able to receive in the mentoring and discipleship, but that connection wasn't made. Mm -hmm. And so there seemed to be a great divide. The word is dualism between the sphere of the arts and the sphere of religion. And even though they are separate spheres, it seemed like the church there, the mentality was there's no place where that sphere of the arts connects to the sphere of faith, especially in a synergistic manner. Mm-hmm. So, my experience to be really open with you after about a couple of weeks of being a new believer, you know, mind you, I'd never picked up a Bible in my life up to that point. Mm-hmm. But there was a, an opportunity to go up to the front of my church for prayer. And I went up to the front and I said to the prayer counselor that I would like prayer because I know that God has given me a gift and a talent. And I feel like he is speaking to my heart, wanting me to surrender that to him for his purposes. But I don't really know how to go about that. So I would like prayer. And the prayer counselor, who was an elderly man, and again, I was 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, well, look, I, first of all, I can't believe that you've only been a believer for a few weeks and you want to pray a prayer like this. Yeah. He said, so, you know, kudos to you. <laughs> he said, but I want to pray very specifically. So I want to ask you, what talent has the Lord given you? Do you sing? And I said, no. And he said, so are you a writer? And I said, no, sir. And he said, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a dancer. Rachel, Mm -hmm. he almost fell backwards. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He looked at me and he went, you're what? And I said, I'm a dancer. And he said, explain that to me. And I thought, well, first of all, get your mind out of the gutter. Right, (laughs) right. I said, I have trained in ballet and in modern dance and in jazz, tap, and uh, I'm a performer and I'm a choreographer. And he got really quiet. And then finally he spoke up and he said, I tell you what, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God what else it is he might have for you. And Rachel, I just kind of swallowed deep inside. That's kind of just like a punch in the gut a little bit. Yeah. Well, well, see, that's it. It hit that mark of rejection in my life. Mm -hmm. Something that I had been familiar with ever since I was a kid, the orphan spirit. It hit it all over again. And I went home feeling so defeated, like, wow, God, you, you don't accept this part of me. And this is, this is a real part of who I am. Right. And so I was so frustrated, I decided to pick up my Bible. 
now realized I didn't know scripture and you couldn't, you didn't have apps. So you couldn't go to your Bible app. You couldn't go to Google, but I realized that just like textbooks in school, that the Bible had an index. So I went to the back and I thought, okay, I'm going to see if the word dance is in here. (laughs) And I saw, wow, it is. Now, yeah. real life, because I didn't know the Bible, it took me hours to try to find. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't know what Old Testament was from New Testament and what John was from right. Deuteronomy. And it's like so Single, confusing. you know, what page by page trying to turn. Exactly. But I began to find these incredible verses about praising God's name with dancing. And then, you know, reading the Psalms, the Lord has turned for me my mourning into dancing. He's taken away my sackcloth and he's girded me with the garments of praise. Mm-hmm. Book of Jeremiah, again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. And you shall go forth again in the dances of those that rejoice. Ecclesiastes, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. And I thought, wow, God, so every good and perfect gift does come from you. And then I read this incredible story about a tax collector and a Roman centurion who come to the Lord and say, you know, now that we've been baptized, what do we do? Because to be a Roman centurion or a tax collector back in the day, those were, quote, unsanctified professions. Mm-hmm, and right. the, Lord, the Lord just says, look, remain in your professions only use integrity and use compassion and kindness. And so I felt like God spoke to me so deeply through that and said, remain in the calling in which you were called, but realize that there are things that I want to sanctify and things that you've connected yourself to that are not going to be valuable for you or conducive to your life. Um, Mm -hmm. So son, I'm going to walk you through this. And so long story short, it wasn't all that long after that, that I used the term, God got me out of Dodge. You know, my beginnings of my Christian growth, I mean, thank God for turning point experience. That was wonderful. But for a lot of the church culture that I was in, and it's not, it's, it's, it's not a, um, uh, how would I say? It's not a sin of the church. It's just what happens to all of us. If we get secluded in our own culture, it's all we know, and then we, we, we can fear or judge anything else. I believe that that's a big part of racism, mm-hmm. is that we isolate ourselves into our own Caucasian culture, and then we fear what we don't know. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, and fear, fearing the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to me, God was a Texan. And he was an American and probably Caucasian. And, you know, he wore a hat or whatever the case may be. That was a part of my Texas Christian culture. I got an invite, a gracious invite by an organization in Germany called Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. And in the early 80s, took off for Europe for the first time in my life and experienced a completely different culture and a completely different understanding of my faith and of Christianity, seeing it through the lens of another culture, getting me out of the box of my own seclusion. Now, in the beginnings, that was hard. Yeah. Because then- so- sometimes what you experience in your culture 
you might think that that's the truth. Does that mm, make sense? Like yeah. this is the this is God's truth. Like this is it's the right not way. Truth, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's your culture, and we have to discern the difference between what are the absolutes of God, and then what are the cultural ramifications are. Uh, the pillars of the culture that you've clung to because it's all that you've known. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was being kind of uh, stripped of things that were just a part of my culture. So more Christianity than Christ. But that stripping was very uncomfortable to wrestle through some of those things. But sure. it brought me into a greater, what I call a grace journeyed liberty. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. So I was able to accept more of the fullness of the Lordship of Christ in my life. And I was able to sit under some teachings of people like Colin Harbinson, who's a great apologetist on Christianity and the arts, Francis Shaver, his wife, Edith, Jim and Ann Mills with Creative Art Cheer Up. I learned who I was as an artist in Christ. So they were no longer pitted against each other. There was this beautiful integration. I'm mm-hmm. so thankful for that. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So so that got you into international travel. I know just knowing you <laughs> that you've been to a lot of nations and different cultures. You can say that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> was that the time when you stayed with Youth with a Mission over yes. in Europe yeah. for so, an extended yeah. period? Yeah. Europe became my home for about six months. Uh, so when I was working in Germany, I actually had a visa at the time because I was teaching for a school of performing arts, but then I would go back and forth to Switzerland. So Switzerland really kind of became home base for me. Mm-hmm. And I would spend, um, back in the day as an American, you could have up to six months on just a, a regular visitor's visa. Now it's only three. Okay. So I would stay for anywhere from three to six months come back or go somewhere else in the world like Israel or Asia and then return back to Europe again. So I was teaching throughout Europe, uh, both in the Christian community and also the mainstream community and also doing the same in Hong Kong and China as well. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to rate and review the show in iTunes. Ratings and reviews help others to find the podcast and expand our reach. Today, I'd like to thank Bethany F. for her review on iTunes. She says, Inspiring and deeply rooted, artists will find themselves nodding in agreement and being challenged to reflect and engage on deeper levels. The truth shared is excellent and relevant for people of faith, not just creatives. Highly recommend a listen. Thank you so much, Bethany, for your kind words. Now, back to my conversation with Randy. So what brought you, I know you were the founder of Adam Dance Company and the director. So what in the timeline, I guess, when did that come about? Okay. What yep. did it look like to build a company? I mean, I guess you had already had a company earlier. Well, yeah, but yes. But of course that company wasn't connected to my faith right. in any way. And then also even before leaving for Europe, I was able to connect with some other dance artists in the greater Houston area that were also believers. So we were doing some things within local churches, Mm -hmm. but then 
as I began my international travels, because I basically kind of lived out of a suitcase, no exaggeration, for about six, seven, eight years of life. Wow. Yeah. I, some days I would end up in a country and I was doing a lot of guest housing or staying in guest homes. I would forget what country I was in or like yeah, when you wake up, you're like, where am I? (laughs) Where where am I? No, seriously, that happened a lot. So what was happening though, because I felt a little bit isolated. uh, So as a man, as a dancer, and especially as a man dancer who was a believer back in the day, I was a little bit of a uh, a limited uh, version, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, because I didn't find a lot of professional level dancers that were speaking out about their faith, especially Christian faith, or or acknowledging uh, any realm of connection to a relationship with God. It just wasn't being dialogued about whether or not those people existed. I don't know. Right. But long story short, in my travels, in the most strange situations, I would begin to meet other professional dance artists who also were quite committed and passionate about their faith. But I would hear the same story over and over. Yes, I'm a believer. I attend church. My vocation is a professional dancer. Like even one of those dancers was a principal dancer with the Royal Ballet for 15 years of her life. Yeah, wow, <laughs> so, yeah. These are not any small fishes right. as far as the dance accolades go. Mm-hmm. But I would hear the same story of, even though I enjoy going to my church, I feel like I'm in two boxes. I have my professional world as a dancer in my vocational call, and then I have my faith. But where I am in my faith world, my church these discussions about art and artistry and vocational call never take place. Where I'm at in my vocation as a dancer, conversations about faith, especially Christianity, never take place. She said so, and all these dancers are saying, we feel like we're in between the two. Yeah. And we would love to feel more whole by connecting the dots of who we are as vocational artists and who we are as believers. Is there a place, a platform, where these two things don't have to have such a great gulf? So we're not trying to Christianize our dancing or put it in a religious box, but just for the sake of our own identities, we want to see some fusion. And my heart began to break, honestly, for these individuals. And I was meeting them in different countries all around the world, even right here in Houston, Texas. Right. And I just began to honestly pray, like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a community that could embrace this breed of artists, artists who wanted to grow in their faith? And how would I say, they, didn't, they wouldn't feel this separation between who they are as professionals working in excellence within technique and performance integrity, but also being able to grow spiritually. And as I begin to pray about that, you've got to be careful what you pray for. <laughs> so I, I, really, I really sense the Lord saying, then you start this community. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, 
I have no clue because I had been a gypsy. Mm-hmm. I had been traveling all around on my own. And even though I was living in community, like with Youth with the Mission, I had never led a community. I mean, I had my own dance company before, but that was different because a part of this new community would be spiritual mentoring and discipleship. And how do you do that within a dance company and community? Yeah, it's kind of unknown territory. It was totally unknown, especially back in the 80s. But I just kind of put the word out there of, okay, anybody interested? And of course, I had some international connections. And Rachel, I was blown out of the water. People started coming out of the woodworks. People from Finnish National Ballet or from Finland came and they became a part. A guy who had danced with Michael Jackson on the Bad Tour, he came to be a part. Uh, yeah. Jeff Lewis, who has Arrows International. Yes. I mean, on and on it goes. Uh, later, Laura Morton came into the mix. Mm-hmm. I met her. She was dancing with Houston Metropolitan Dance Company, which turned into the Houston Met Dance Company. Right. As a matter of fact, one of our first rehearsal headquarters was actually the old Houston Met building. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. That was our first rehearsal headquarters. Michelle Smith. Uh, was really gracious in allowing us to have space there. That's great. And so we had a core of about maybe 10 dancers, but then it just kept growing. And then we opened up a trainee program. And then later on, it became the second company. And so the foundations actually started back in like the early 90s. But in the year 2000, we went full time. So up from the early 90s to 2000, it was more project-based. I see, yeah. But in 2000, it became a full-time work. And so now we're celebrating our 20th year of full-time work. That's incredible. Yeah, just the grace of God and your story. And I think it's definitely generations of people that are going to be impacted by this thing that God has built with you, you know? So thank you for that. And thank you for your faithfulness to follow that very unknown, what do I do? What does this look like (laughs) for a community? Well, you know, whenever you pioneer something, uh, because you do step out in faith, and come on, we're human and we're frail and we're weak, and nope. Mistakes are made, bad decisions are made. You don't always go about things the right way, even within your character. On Mm -hmm. and on it goes. But thank God for grace. And, you know, if I have to say anything or give credit to anything, it would not be my own ingenuity. How would I say my own cleverness or gifting? It really is the grace of God. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about grace. Grace began a work in me back in the 80s. And, you know, sometimes we use this expression as Christians, when I came to the Lord, that's not true. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we, there, there's no steps outside my house that will walk me up to heaven. That's it's when point. God humbles himself because of his love and he comes to us. And it says in the book of Philippians that he who begins a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, let me tell you what, even when I had been unfaithful, his faithfulness cannot be denied. He remains faithful. Mm. It says that he's both the alpha and the omega and that we are his workmanship and he's created us for good works that he's ordained or good assignments that he's ordained from the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. So bottom line is there has been one heck of a lot of grace <laughs> upon my life. 
Yes, that's so good. Looking back now that you, you know, you're looking from this experience, how would you say the, I guess, the landscape of Christian dance has shifted or altered over the years and kind of where do you see sure. it right now? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, the, the territory has so enlarged. I'm amazed. Like I remember yeah. back in the day, this is the early eighties when I first met Steve Rooks, a 10 year principal dancer with the Martha Graham company, yes, who was also this incredible man of God. So he was one of the very first, what I would call almost like this icon Graham artist who's actually a believer. And actually, when I first heard that this guy in the Martha Graham company, who was a principal dancer, was a believer, the guy who told me, I had to say, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But Steve, I called Steve on the phone. Steve didn't know who the heck I was, but he was so gracious as he is, mm-hmm. so humble. And I invited him out to Houston and he came and worked with the company. And uh, so he's been my best friend ever since and has set so many works on our day through the years. It's been absolutely amazing through that relationship. And then just other, what I called networks of grace, God just began to enlarge this tapestry of professional dancers who are believers. So dancers from Ailey, like my friend Matthew Rushing, who's the associate director of the Alvin Ailey Company now, mm-hmm. Jarrell Comedy, who danced with the Lamone Company, and also with Mark Morris, Cheryl Cutlip, who danced with the Radio City Music Hall Rockettes, and now she's the founder and director of Project Dance International, mm-hmm. Bill Wade from Inlet Dance Theater, Stephen and Britta Wynn, Laura Morton, Cynthia Newland, I'm, I could go on forever and ever, amen. Yes. This net this network began to take place. And network is not a good word. This fellowship, like the fellowship of the rings. Yes. <laughs> we were family, professional dancers who loved the art of dance, who respected it, who believed in it, but also our faith was integral in our life. And we begin to offer intensive programs uh, where dancers could come and train and get excellence in dance training. Horton technique, Graham technique, Lamone technique, incredible ballet technique, jazz, you name it. But then they could also be mentored spiritually. So there were Bible studies, there were prayer times. I mean, we still do this. This has been going on for years now. It's one of my favorite things. (laughs) But it just began to build this incredible network. And then all of a sudden, things just exploded. And so now in so many countries of the world, it is not unusual to find these pockets, these communities of faith-based, I guess you could say, are faith-informed professional dancers. Some that have very clearly orchestrated Christian missional interaction others that are working more parable-like and creatively within the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So you have these incredible companies like Ballet Magnificat in Jackson, Mississippi, who I really admire what they do and the integrity of what they do. And then I have my friends in Inlet Dance Theater that are very Palolibus-based physical theater movement, which, how would I say, Inlet would not be a, quote, Christian dance company, but Bill Wade is an amazing believer. He's an amazing Christian man who directs a professional dance company. And he is able, because of who he is, to 
bring his faith into that work and live it out. Does that make sense? Yes. And so, and then I have believer artist friends that are working in what I call mainstream dance companies or in the, the sphere of the arts. And Alvin Ailey at New York City Ballet, Silas Farley doing an amazing work there. And this young man of God is, besides being a brilliant ballet dancer, is an amazing theologian. Like oh, when wow. he opens up his mouth, you feel like you're in a theology course. That's incredible. It, he's so orthodox in his beliefs. I mean, just so to see there's actually this beautiful group of believer dance artists in New York City Ballet, in the Ailey Company. Of course, Whitney, who you've interviewed, is dancing with Doug Verone. Mm-hmm. I mean, on and on it goes. I, w- I would be here all day. Yeah, that's so exciting. A few years ago, I was a speaker at a conference called Urbana, which is a missions conference for university age students. Mm-hmm. And it gathered about 20,000 university students that were interested in missions, whether it was short-term missions or long-term missions. And it was their first time to offer a track for the arts. Oh, wow. And so I was there. Yeah, exactly. So I was there to speak on dance and how dance and missions, which you well know, have this beautiful interplay yes. and this, uh, this significance. Mm-hmm. But the directors of the conference said, now look, this is our first time. So Mr. Flynn, if you have five people come to your class, <laughs> then be happy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't care. I don't care if it's one. Like, this it's is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went into my classroom and I was waiting for people to come in. And at first, these two people, these two young ladies come in and I thought, okay, well, I guess this is going to be it. And the classroom was pretty big. It could have held probably about 200 people. Okay. Then all of a sudden, Rachel, these college students start to flock in to my classroom. And there uh-huh. are about 150 people who take their seat. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. So I thought maybe they were in the wrong room or maybe <laughs> I was in the wrong room. Uh-huh. So I said, I said, guys, do you realize that this lecture is going to be on the significance or the the contribution that dance can make to missions and how these two things don't have to be so divided. Mm -hmm. That that dance really is a beautiful way of articulating what we believe, not as propaganda, but the transcendent beauty. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me like, yes, we know. That's (laughs) That's what we're we're here for. And so I said, okay, look, and I'm curious because you're all college students and I would take it that you're all committed to your faith because this is your break after Christmas. Mm -hmm. It was between the Christmas holidays. And I know this is an expensive conference, so I don't think you would have come to it if you really weren't serious about your faith and missions. But then I have to ask you, and I said, forgive me if if this question sounds condescending in any way. But how many of you guys are real dancers? Like, in other words, in your college, you're either a dance major or you're a dance minor. Raise Mm -hmm. your hands. Rachel, 75% of them raise their hands. Wow. Uh, Yeah, my mouth just dropped. Definitely mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, my mouth dropped. I started crying and they, they said to me, Why are you crying? And I said, Guys, you just don't understand. I'm old. (laughs) And back in the day, to find another dance artist who was committed to their faith 
and desire to serve God in the fullness of their life. Mm -hmm. So no fragmentation, but very holistically to find that was a treasure. And I said, whenever I discovered those people in different pockets of the world, we joined hands together and said, please never leave me or forsake me. Right. But now I'm coming to this missions conference for university students. And there's all of you in this room and 75% of you are raising your hand, telling me that you're committed to your faith and you're also gung-ho about your dancing. And you don't want to live this dualistic world you realize that your dancing is a part of who God has made you to be. And so that's what I talked about. I talked about identity. Mm-hmm. But Rachel, this is happening all over. And as you well know, you went to Belhaven University, mm-hmm. which is a Christ-centered university with an amazing dance department, with yeah. an amazing faculty of people. So incredible. Yeah, they're amazing. On and on it goes all over the world now. And so again, whether they're what would be titled a faith-based dance company or a Christian dance company or a dance company that's being directed by believer and have believer dancers in the company mm-hmm. or believers that are uh, either professional artists like Whitney and Doug Verone are in these incredible places of influence like Matthew in the Alvin Ailey company, on and on it goes. And bottom line, it just boils down to be the salt and be the light. Live out your faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about your religion and how would I say, it's not always even about um, just focusing on what I call the ethics and the morality of our faith. Yeah, that, that's important that we can't box that in. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, look at, if we look at the virtues of the good, the true, and the beautiful, these aesthetic virtues or values, then I believe as evangelical believers, sometimes we get stuck on the good and the true, and we forget about the beautiful. Mm. And Christ is beautiful, and the gospel is beautiful, because grace is beautiful, glory is beautiful. And to me, these are the, the two key components of who God is. He's a God of grace and he's a God of glory. He's holy. But that holiness is not an angry holiness. It's a beautiful holiness. Mm -hmm. And how important it is, because I believe that artists can wrap their minds around that idea. And maybe, maybe that God has appointed some to how would I say, articulate the good. He's appointed others to articulate the true. And maybe there are others (laughs) (laughs) to articulate the beautiful. Mm -hmm. Now, my hope is that we can integrate all of those values, that the good and the true can be expressed through the beautiful. And to me, that's the beauty of Jesus. This is what John says in the book of John, chapter one. And the word became flesh, that God came in the body of human of humanity and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the the only begotten son of god Mm -hmm. full of grace and truth for the law came through moses but grace and truth and glory because we beheld his glory came through jesus christ the son and if we are to be his followers then his grace his truth and his glory must be revealed through our lives in a way that is relevant and redemptive, but more than anything, 
I believe beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so that that's, that's my desire is to upgrade the beautiful expressions of mm-hmm. Christianity, because I don't believe that the expressions of Christianity are always uh, presented are interpreted as beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's both. Sometimes it's not presented beautifully. It can be, it can be ugly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand why people turn away from things that are not attractive. Right. You know, as a believer artist, I want to present the beautiful and not, not in a deceptive way, but the true beauty of who Christ is. Because mm-hmm. that's what arrested my life. It was the beauty. It wasn't the law. It was the beauty of God. And this is what King David says in Psalms 27. I think it's so amazing, this beautiful poetry, where he says, one thing I've desired of the Lord. One thing, Rachel. He's a king. He's the king of Israel. This dude can have anything. You got to listen up. Yeah. One thing have I desired. That will I seek. That I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To gaze upon his beauty. Like, David was an artist. He was a poet. He was yes. a musician. He danced before the Lord. And what he wanted, that's why he brought the ark back into Zion. He was so passionate. He wanted the beauty of God to explode on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it will be that type of a connected Renaissance Reformation that will see the church have more engagement and impact into culture than ever before, mm. because we recognize the importance of the beautiful. That, yeah, that's so inspiring and encouraging. I think as a believer artist, you know, hearing what God is doing and how he's moving in the realm of the arts, especially in dance. So that's so encouraging. And that makes me think about too, how in our current culture, in our current day right now, you know, how do you see God working or do you have maybe a word that you would want to speak to artists right now in their walk and their call? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So if, if I'm addressing the believer artist, those that believe in the Lordship of Christ, mm-hmm. understand the gospel of grace and have yielded their life to that gospel, kind of like the old hymn, I surrender all. And of course, we all are on a journey. Even, even as believers, we are on a journey with the Lord. But to those individuals, I would say, you have been called to bring glory to God through the fullness of your life, body, soul, and spirit. This is what Paul was trying to get across to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you've been bought with the price through the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. through his sacrificial death and atonement? Therefore, glorify God with your body. That word actually means this thing. (laughs) Glorify God with it. His spirit dwells within you. You're his temple. Articulate the wellsprings of that deposit of his spirit within you through the expressions of your physical temple as well. Glorify God. Honor God. Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of the Lord. So I would encourage believers to think more holistically in their faith, the fullness of the Lordship. But the necessity is the clarity of identity. Who are you in Christ? Mm -hmm. You've been redeemed. 
you've been forgiven, not because of what you've been able to prove or to do, but you've come into this glorious realm of the grace of God, which is so impacting and enlarging and it's, it's miraculous. It transforms you. Live in that grace. Work within that grace. Be fragrant distributors of that grace. No matter where he may take you, you can't box in your faith. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to be careful about even using words like Christian dance. I understand it. To me, I think maybe best described as dancers or dance that is informed from our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, how would I say? We, we use terms like worship, dance, and things like this. But yes, that, that's a, a sacramental act. But dancing in itself is a good and perfect gift of God that he's given to humanity. Mm-hmm. Call it the common grace of God, good and perfect gifts. I don't want to box in what dance and faith looks like because you can't box in what God looks like. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Yeah. The radiance of his glory. So we all have different administrations in different places where our assignments take us. Mm -hmm. Paul's assignment was different from Peter's assignment. So I can't judge my brother or sister because they're walking in a different assignment of grace than what I'm walking in. That's so good. Yeah. And so where one particular organization might feel like it's important and significant to say, oh, we are a Christian dance company. Another might say, well, we're a dance company, but I happen to be a believer. Mm -hmm. So, but all things, all of these are valid. Uh, and they're all truthful at the same time. So I don't want to just put a fence around something and say, okay, if you're a dancer and you're a believer, then this is what you got to do. You know, you got to be dancing in your local church every Sunday and you got to wear white and twirl <laughs> a flag. And uh-huh. that's, that's fine and dandy. That, that's beautiful. But you could also be the associate director for the Avenelli company right. as well. You could be a Joseph. You could be a Daniel whatever the case may be. So I I want to speak out that word of liberty Mm -hmm. for those artists of faith to realize, hey, God has manifold expressions of who he is and different avenues that we carry out the mission to be salt and light. The main thing is to stay connected to community, Mm -hmm. have fellowship with believers. Iron sharpens iron. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints together. We, we need that fellowship and encouragement. So basically, in my older years of life, I just want to mentor young artists, whether they're believers or non-believers. I want to mentor them in the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of who they are as human beings, who God has created them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important, the community. And I thank you for your mentorship and for your dedication to that within the company, but also, you know, bringing people in, in the intensives and basically just whenever you're around people, thank you for being that mentor and the salt and the light to those that you come into contact with. That's been a huge impact on me. And I know so many others. Thank you, Rachel. So yeah, super encouraged. And it's really fun to hear almost like the, the lineage, the history also that 
has led to this moment that we're living in right now as well. So um, or a little piece of it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of wrap us up, this is sure. a little side question here, but okay. um, I like to ask, what is one of your favorite things right now? And it can be serious or more okay. small. <laughs> wow. Okay. One of my favorite things right now. So of course, you know, we're in COVID bill. Yes. <laughs> uh, so even though Texas is reopening, how would I say, we're not fully out of the gate yet. And I think we all have to realize that and be respectful of that mm-hmm. as well. So I'm having to think outside of my own comfort boxes uh, to think about, okay, how will artistry and beauty look like for the future? I've known it as one way, in a sense, things that I've been familiar with. But now challenging myself to think outside of those parameters and being more open to new downloads of inspiration and revelation. And then also, to be honest, I'm very passionate about not only the dance side, but what might be considered as the mentoring side or the discipleship side. So I'm getting, I'm getting more opportunities now to go in and just be a speaker a lecture, whatever you want to call it, uh, inspirational motivator. I'm enjoying this. I'm putting together things to write a book. I really feel like That's I want to, to write a book for artists, uh, whether they're believers are, uh, whether they don't embrace Christianity, mm-hmm. just something to help the artist to get an understanding that they're created for a purpose mm-hmm. and that there's greater purpose in their life than what they may think or imagine. So where can people find you, connect in with Adeya, that sort of thing? Right now they can find me at my house, yes. going from <laughs> the bedroom to the living room to the kitchen. <laughs> I'm real easy to find right now. No, uh, our website is adeumdance.org. Adeum in Latin means onto God. So A-D-D-E-U-M dance.org. Uh, We do have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. We have an amazing virtual summer intensive. We may do a mini live one at the same time, but it has to be restricted. But our virtual intensive is August 17th to the 21st. Faculty, oh my gosh, Alicia Graf-Mack, who is the director of dance at the Juilliard School, principal dancer, our former principal dancer with Ailey and with Dance Theater of Harlem. Steve Rooks, who I talked about earlier, Darrell Comedy, who I talked about earlier, uh, Whitney, who you've interviewed, who's mm-hmm. dancing with Doug Barone, Danny Stinger, who danced with the Martha Graham, or Danny Hammock, I should say, who danced mm-hmm. with the Martha Graham Company, Laura Morton from Bell Haven, Cynthia Newland, Kevin Butler, who's dancing with Zion Dance Project. Jen Haley, who's the director of dance at Palm Beach Atlantic University. She teaches Cunningham Technique. Mm. Richard Bowman, who danced with the Australian Ballet. I mean, just on and on and on it goes. I'm probably forgetting some people, so forgive me if you're listening to this because there's just so many of them. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be an incredible intensive. It's just going to be incredible. So, And, of course, it's virtual, so it can be global. Yes. Which is awesome. That's one of the beauties of this season, I think, is that more people are able to access things that we couldn't have gotten exactly. to before, you know, with travel yeah. and everything. So yeah, yeah, yep. we'll definitely take advantage of that. So thank you. And um, thank My you pleasure. again for sharing your heart. You are a blessing to so many and we pray that you are blessed in return. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been an honor. 
what an encouraging conversation with Rainey. I was reminded of so much truth during our time together, and I hope his words help encourage and inspire you today. You can find links from the show and the full show notes on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. Next week, my guest on the podcast is Darrell Comedy. Darrell was a professional dancer in New York City for close to 11 years before he moved with his family to Charlotte, North Carolina to serve as a worship leader for The Lift, a church based in Indian Trail, North Carolina. I had so much fun catching up with Darrell and hearing his heart for the current challenges that we're facing in our world. Thank you for listening to the Creative Impact Podcast. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss an episode. You can find the Creative Impact Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. Check out our Patreon community, share the show with a friend, and I'll see you next Tuesday for my conversation with Darrell Comedy. 